Welcome to this special edition of The Shady Podcast. Yes, we are returning. And yes, it is Friday, the 13th, October 2017. Arguably one of the more creepy months out of the year. Maybe a dark night in October doesn't really strike you as more creepy than a dark night in January, but for the average person, a dark night in October on a Friday the 13th is pretty much as creepy as you can get. The agoraphobia has set in and there is no escape. Today's episode, we are going to jump into some stories about past Friday the 13ths and some truly terrifying things that has have happened. We're also going to get into some of the lore and the background, the history, and try to determine if we can exactly where this superstition springs from. Then we're going to talk about a really terrible and awful case of Kitty Genovese. And then I'm going to share some of my own personal anecdotes about terrible things that have happened to me on past Friday the 13th, and that will wrap up the episode. So I hope you stick around, uh, stay through the creepy music, and enjoy some interesting stories on this very special Friday the 13th. So on this exact day, a Friday the 13th in October, this was back in 1972, an airplane in Moscow crashed into the ground, killing all 174 persons on board. Maybe that's why people have a fear of flying. And on that same day, a plane crashed in the Andes, killing a rugby team and 12 people. There were 16 survivors. They were forced to eat the bodies of the victims in order to keep themselves alive until they were rescued. On Friday the 13th in 1976, a man was killed when the roof of his flat caved in. Reportedly, Daz Pearson had actually elected to stay home because he had a feeling that something bad was going to happen to him if he left. Well, Daz, better look on the decision-making next time. Here's a really interesting one. A boy was actually struck by lightning. This is in England on August the 13th, 2010. He was actually struck by lightning at 1.13 p.m., which, as you know, in military time is 13, 13. And he was 13 years old at the time. Hmm. On July 13, 1877, oh, here's a really unlucky one, the first Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan, Nathan Bedford Forrest, was born. Wow, even the music didn't like that one. That is unfortunate. Now, it's difficult to pin down the origins. What are the origins of this superstition? But they've been trying they've been trying to figure it out. I went and researched a whole bunch of articles. Nobody really knows. Everybody tries to pretend that they know, but nobody really knows, and they're all just guessing. 
And so we'll get into some good guesses, but one theory that has come up a, a tremendous amount, uh, a rather ridiculous amount, is that it actually is a related to a religious uh, belief. So the way it's related to religion is that Jesus was crucified on a Friday, hence the Friday, and that the night before, when he was with his disciples, there had been 13 gathered in the room, and therefore, they say that because of that 13, and the Friday, that people begin to associate that with, you know, terrible um, mishaps and whatever else, which a lot of uh, really accomplished professors and people that have uh, apparently actually studied quite a bit um, suggested actual professors of psychology and from all over the world and I just think it sounds a little ridiculous but there you go they say that uh, and I quote the combination of those factors produced a sort of double whammy of 13 falling on an already nervous day uh, some biblical scholars also believe that Eve tempted Adam with the forbidden fruit on a Friday. Sounds good for the weekend. And that Abel was slain by his brother Cain on Friday the 13th. Uh, how they determined that? Uh, maybe the most interesting part of that story. Now, getting into some more interesting tidbits about this whole uh, phenomenon, uh, it's interesting to point out other cultures that don't share the same fear of Friday the 13th, and we actually have a name for it in our country, that it is an actual phobia. Um, and strangely enough, there it's, it's been estimated Check this out. It has been estimated that 800 or 900 million dollars US is lost in business on Friday the 13th because people will not fly or do business they normally would do, which is pretty impressive. Now, curiously, and this is interesting to me, Spain appears to have escaped this uh, terror of Friday the 13th. They don't care about Friday the 13th. Instead, what they're concerned about is Tuesday the 13th. And that is considered their most dangerous day. Uh, numerologists uh, consider, in the study of numerology, that 12 is a complete number, and so 13 would be this right after the complete number, and that's why people have so many uh, issues with it. Oh, okay. Maybe. Now, interesting, here you go. The Roman numeral uh, 17, and this is what Italians fear. They fear 17. Why? Because the Roman numeral for 17 is XVII, which can be rearranged to spell VIXI, which translated from Latin means my life. Whispering for effect there. Uh, wow, thanks Italians. They may be mostly short, but they've got a long reach. Now, 
ironically, uh, people, they tend to hide out. These people that are actually scared of going out during Friday the 13th and doing things, then they tend to actually spend their day uh, in their home. But a 2008 study by the Dutch Center for Insurance Statistics, so you know they're accurate, insurance man. Now that's scary. Uh, They revealed that fewer accidents, fewer traffic accidents occur on Friday the 13th than on any other Friday. Reports of fire and theft also drop, the study found. Interesting. Now, here's a interesting story about the Hollywood sign. I live in Southern California, and we're going to talk a little bit about this Hollywood sign here. Uh, It's considered a historic U.S. landmark pop culture icon, unfortunately. And it was first unveiled by the owner of the Los Angeles Times newspaper, Harry Chandler, on Friday, the 13th of July, 1923. And originally the the sign spelled out Hollywood Land, and it was erected uh, to advertise new housing developed by Chandler. Um, and had a whole bunch of light bulbs, and it was really only intended to be kind of stand for a year, advertise the property, and then be taken down. Uh, in 1949, wanting to use the sign to promote the area and not just the housing development, the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce decided to remove the word land from the end of the sign, and the rest, as they say, is history. Yes, unfortunately, they do say that. Um, so it was allowed to kind of fall, fall apart. It was this big Hollywood sign. It was just dilapidated, falling apart. 1978, there's a group of people. They uh, each paid about $27,000 to erect a steel sign to replace the old one. Wow. Uh, And today the sign is actually protected and maintained by the Hollywood Sign Trust, which is a scary fact. Uh, The sign is probably more well provided for than I am. There you go. In addition to being seen in countless TV, cinema, and artist representations, uh, the sign and its history uh, has a history all of its own. Uh, Peg Entwistle, she was a Broadway actress. Her body was found in a ravine below the sign in 1932. The police think that Entwistle jumped. Now, one of the truly terrifying things is when we can't discover the truth. Just like when people are scared of the dark and you can't see what's really there or what your imagination is telling you. In the same way that When you can't get to the truth, it is a scary thing. And now this murder of Kitty Genovese, many, many years ago, that really shook the nation because it was such a high-profile assassination um, of this young, uh, pretty lady on her way home. She was a manager of a, a bar, and she's on her way home, and this man uh, apparently sees her at random and decides to go and attack her. She makes a run for it. Um, Allegedly, in the original story, 
uh, no one did anything to help or even do anything other than listen as he caught up to her and stabbed her two times in the back. Apparently at that point someone leaned out a window and yelled at Winston Mosley, the attacker, uh, hey, leave that lady alone, leave that girl alone, and he fled, uh, allegedly went back to his vehicle, where he disguised himself and came back. He was actually able to come <clears throat> and find uh, Kitty Genovese, uh, who had almost succumbed to her stabbing injuries and was trying to crawl into her apartment building, uh, but wasn't able to quite make it. He actually finds her almost in there, uh, rapes her, and then kills her. All while, according to the story, uh, up to 38 people witnessed the crime and nobody did anything other than the man that yelled, hey, leave her alone. And she was allegedly screaming and whatever else. So, but interestingly enough, so her, her brother went and actually researched the story and tried to figure out the truth of what actually happened. He said it was something that really defined their family, obviously, because this became an actual uh, term in psychology where they, they used this event to term the to coin the term bystander effect, which is that people will people will resort to inaction if most of the people are not acting. Like you'll do what other people around you are doing. You won't be the one to uh, take action if nobody else will. You'll kind of follow the, follow the crowd. You'll the bystander effect. Now, uh, the brother, Genovese, actually wanted to discover the truth, and so he actually has a uh, Netflix, or I believe it's available on Netflix, called The Witness. And he searches for the truth, and he finds out that, no, there weren't 38 people, there were um, a couple dozen ear witnesses, but very few uh, actual witnesses from what he can discover. There were claims that were made that they called the police. Multiple people claimed they did and that the police response was slow, but then the police records actually show no calls. So the people don't know what happened. Uh, one young lady actually did go down and was with Kitty Genovese during her last moments of life. Um, you know, and allegedly or apparently had, you know, only heard uh, toward the end there. I would imagine if she has the bravery to run down at that late point, she would have probably run down earlier if she had known. So you can't discover the truth in this case, but it is a really interesting one because it really swept the nation by storm and said, hey, our urban areas are following, falling into decay and... Uh, the family unit has broken down and nobody cares about anybody and look at how heartless all of the New Yorkers are and this is our how our new society is well true false it's still a terrifying story well that does it for this episode unfortunately uh, here are some anecdotes of mine I actually have none I've never, ever paid attention enough to say, oh, 
something bad happened on Friday the 13th. I never have. And so I would be really interested if you as a listener have. Please email me at uh, shadystorieshq at gmail.com. Email me, let me know your personal stories, and I will talk about them. I would love to hear them. If you have any that are specifically connected to the day, a Friday the 13th, of a very, very negative experience, or if you're one of those people where you have an actual fear and you won't go do your regular activities on the 13th, uh, please let me know that as well. For me, the scariest thing that happened today, um, I was riding my bike and probably almost got hit by a car not even necessarily that I was aware of that since they get very close when you're riding your bike on the lanes here in Southern California because they're jerks so that is just a consistent thing I don't know if that's related to Friday the 13th Um, we did have a helicopter that was hovering in our area for a while so maybe something bad happened Uh, but not to us so we were fine no crashes no accidents no mishaps, no sickness, no black cats, I don't know, uh, nothing. So please, tell me your uh, story of Friday the 13th. But I do want to leave you, as the episode of Shady is now done, I have a friend and author, Torsten Kipton, who's written a story. It's called Backseat Driver. It's one of my favorites. And I'm going to leave you with just the audio of that story. It's about seven minutes long. I think you're really going to love it. It's it's a terrific short story, very creepy, and actually a part of a series, I think, that he is uh, creating as well. So you can check out his uh, podcast. It's called Be Afraid uh, on Anchor or wherever podcasts are at. And uh, until next time, this has been Shady. We are making our comeback. We will make a return. We will rise again. But yeah, check out the story about my friend. All right, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next time. Backseat Driver by Torsten Kipton. Read by the author. His eyes were pure black, run through with needles so they clung loosely to his face. His head slumped and his arms were lashed to a wooden crucifix. I knelt at his feet, my hands clasped so tightly they ached. How long have I been here? I wiped the mealy tear tracks from my cheeks as I stood, brushed the dust from my knees. A chilly wind stole through the cornfields and tore the heat from my body. I clutched myself. Can I just get one night's sleep? I recognized the place this time, Mason's farm. I had no idea how I got through the gate, but I'd found myself here before. As then, a Bible was nestled between my feet. I brushed it off and held it beneath my arm. The corn stalks swayed and groped as I trudged through the field. They towered over me and darkened the sky. I could see little more than my own breath. My eyes crackled when I blinked and my head felt full of water. It seemed I'd walked miles without reaching the end of the row. I walked faster for another full minute. Still, no escape. What the hell? Mason's field wasn't that big. 
Was I in some other place? Peeking over the crop before me was a black-eyed head, lolling and crowned with a straw hat. I made an abrupt left turn. It was dark. I was tired. Maybe a trick of the starlight. I jammed my fists by my sides and pushed forward. I just wanted this to be over already. Thought I heard something rustling in the corn behind me. Of course not. Who else would be out here at this ungodly hour? For a minute, it was silent. Walking briskly, I'd emerge from the field at any second. I took off again. The rustling crept closer, faster, almost on my heels. I clutched the Bible to my chest, reinforcing my ribcage against the hammer blows of my heart. Only when I was about to break into a sprint did the corn maze finally come to an end. When I emerged in the open, all was still. The dirt road stretched like snakeskin beneath the prismatic starlight. I could see what I thought was my car, down a ways, huddled fearfully between twin silos. As I approached, the looming structures grew ominous, black monoliths stabbing into the twinkling indigo sky. Why so morbid? I chastised myself. I stepped in something wet on the way over, but refused to look at what it was. No need. I hurried further. When I opened my car door, something made me hesitate. The door was unlocked. Anyone could be in the back seat. It was too dark to tell. Stupid. Just get in. I threw the Bible in first to shake the feeling. The suspension creaked as I sat. I reached for the key, mouthing a few words when I found it in the ignition. Gave it a stiff turn. The engine rolled over, but then made a choking sound and sputtered out. With a sigh, I tried again, this time pumping the gas pedal. The engine cranked long enough for the headlights to flash. I wasn't sure what I saw in the corn. Please. Not now. I just want to go home. I twisted the key a third time, my eyes tight shut. The frame shivered as the engine was strangled to a stop once more. The air in the car was thick. I cranked the window down and reluctantly threw the Bible onto the dirt. Come on, just go. This time, the engine turned over almost immediately. When I moved to retrieve the Bible, a shrill hiss filled the cabin. I jumped so hard my head hit the ceiling and I yelped. I fumbled to turn off the radio, which had been set to high volume but tuned between stations. Without shutting the door, I threw the car in reverse and took off. I mustered the nerve to use the rearview mirror, where I saw nothing but the approaching gate before I rolled through. The door slammed when I stopped to turn around. The long journey home at last. The car's radio clock couldn't tell me the time. The thing blinked 12 o'clock. It was always getting reset. I thought about tuning it to a bluegrass station to calm my nerves, but couldn't summon the courage to cover the cabin's silence. 
though I knew it was the cracked window, the air moving in the car felt distinctly like breath on the back of my neck. The white lines bisecting Route 116 flickered in and out of existence as they entered the headlights and vanished beneath the hood of my car. Each line threw a little light back into the cabin, a little light onto my face. I saw my reflection in the rearview mirror. My irises were almost swallowed by black. Are pupils supposed to get that big? The eyes were alien and hungry. I tried smiling so I could see them a little more friendly, but the forced gesture didn't reach my eyes. Not nearly. I nailed my gaze to the road. My mouth went dry. My chest throbbed arrhythmically. Thump thump. Thump. Thump thump. Thump thump thump. I was driving too fast, but couldn't help it. My hands tightened involuntarily around the steering wheel. I passed the car in front of me at 90 miles an hour. The pedal was sucked to the floor, and I heard a kind of growling whimper. Who was that? My heart pumped icy sleet. The engine screamed, screamed. Speedometer topped out at 110. In the rearview mirror, in the murky depths of the car cabin, I caught the flash of teeth. My own face stared back at me with eyes wide and mouth gaping. It was smiling, smiling like the devil. <laughs>